You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Dennis Atkinson grew up in Middleton, Idaho. Following graduation from Middleton High School, Dennis served a church mission in the California Riverside and California San Fernando missions. Weeks prior to leaving on his mission, Dennis went out on a blind date with Janae Bajarski, who was visiting from Alaska with her family. Their relationship continued as they wrote letters every week for two years until he returned home. They were married in Boise in July 1995. Brother Atkinson graduated from Boise State University with a degree in biology. He worked for the Idaho Department of Fish and Game in various capacities. He moved on to the University of Idaho, working at the Parma Research and Extension Center, managing the potato and onion research program for Southwest Idaho. While at the University of Idaho, he obtained a master's degree in plant science. In 2006, Dennis began his career with Seminus Vegetable Seeds, where he's currently in market development lead for the Western United States. He leads a team of eight employees responsible for testing new vegetable hybrids for market acceptance and potential commercial launch. Dennis enjoys running, cycling, gardening, and volunteers as a cross-country coach at Parma High School. Dennis and Janae are the parents of four children. No, I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak today. Uh, I've actually had a lot of opportunities to speak about my career. It's a little different, um, and I love what I do. I love the industry. Um, I just, I just love talking about it. But I've never had the opportunity to talk about it in this context, so I'm, I'm excited about it. So the title for today is "The Right Place at the Right Time," and I hope you're able to pick up that theme um, throughout the talk. As the journey from, for me to get here. Um, nobody can be that lucky. I don't believe in luck. I believe in blessings from our Heavenly Father and then the hard work that's res- that you- is required of us to make those blessings a reality, to maximize the, the effect of those um, blessings in our lives. So, how did I get from there, which is uh, on my dad's tractor when I was little on a dairy farm just north of Middleton? Um, to there, which is sitting on the same model of tractor about five years ago in a farm in Brazil. Big difference. How did I get from there to there? And uh, the big thing is, is I think you need to have a vision of where you, wa- where you wanna be. I had a mission president, my first mission president, that talked a lot about having a vision. Um, actually seeing what you wanna be, seeing where you wanna be, and then mapping out the steps to do that. Um, when I think about the steps to do that and um, why I'm here today um, and how the gospel is a part of that, I think the gospel teaching about um, finding the right person to spend your life and eternity with was key to that. And I think you'll pick that up. So the first step in, in me getting to where I am was finding my wife and finding somebody that um, um, is equally yoked, that we're together. As, as you, the first part of our career was pretty, was pretty rocky. There wasn't a, um, 
there wasn't a lot of, of money. There was not a lot of <laughs> opportunities. And, and so it was a struggle a little bit. So having someone there that you, um, that you can rely on, that, that, you, um, that has the same vision as you, I think is key to why I am here today. Um, when I talk about the right place at the right time, as, as Hayden mentioned, we met on a blind date three weeks before I left on my mission. Just she happened to be visiting a family or a family relative who happened to be married to one of my family relatives. And the rest is history. We met, kind of thought we'd never see each other again. Next thing I know, I'm in the MTC writing, Janae actually writing with a pencil and paper. Uh, she responded and we did. We wrote letters for the next two years, every single week. Uh, came home and um, I got home and I knew that she was the one I was supposed to marry, but it didn't fit into my plan, to my vision, which is sometimes wrong. My vision versus the Lord's vision for us. I did not want to be the guy that came home and got married within a year. Um, so we, I, I pushed Janae off quite a bit, even though I knew ultimately we were going to be married. And um, long story short, those, those few months were pretty miserable. Put the scripture up, the natural man is an enemy to God and uh, has been and, uh, from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. And once you would yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, like I did at 10 months, I made it 10 months before I got married, um, you end up with exceedingly great joy. So that was the first step for me um, on this journey was to find the right partner, the right person. And again, it was because I was in the right place and the right time and then acted finally, on the, the promptings and what I should be doing. So we went through school. Um, as you all know, school can be pretty rough, tight. Uh, no different when you're married. Uh, get up at 5, head to school, work, uh, do 14, 16 credits, get done, drive 30 minutes to work, work 8 hours, go home, get home around 11 and get up at 5 o'clock the next morning and, and start over again. So that's, the again, an example of how being yoked with the right person is important. Finally made it all through, through all that, degree in biology. Still not exactly sure where I wanted to go with life. Um, but I, I had, I think, 30 resumes out across the entire West just looking for anything in biology. I had temp jobs at, as a parking lot attendant with my biology degree. I had, um, uh, I had, uh, had the great opportunity of building carnival net uh, tents at the, uh, at the Boise Expo in February when it's raining and I'm pounding stakes through asphalt thinking, what on earth have I done? Why am I here? It's a pretty dark day. Felt a lot like that. I was at a baseball game when a tornado came through downtown St. Louis and we had to hide in the storm shelter. Felt really, really bad. Felt like I was uh, completely overwhelmed. Um, but at the end of it all, it is by grace we were saved after all we can do. I was doing all I could do. We were headed down the path that we felt was right. I had resumes out. I was trying to make things work. And ultimately, um, it ended up well. I landed a job at the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. Um, I was able to work there for three separate terms, three, three years in three locations, in Nampa, Boise, and we moved up to Salmon for a while. 
Got to do some really cool things like electrofishing. Put a little current of water, of a little electrical current to the water, it stuns the fish, they float belly up. You catch them, measure them, weigh them, put them right back in the stream and they swim away. So you do stream counts. We did stream counts snorkeling. We just swim around and count the number of fish that you see. It was awesome, so much fun. Um, we did this little thing, it's called pit tagging. You put a little microchip about the, grain of, about the size of a grain of rice in the fish's belly, release it, it swims. Salmon and steelhead migrate to the ocean. They migrate, migrate past the dams, they read, and it records where, they were, where those fish were tagged. And when they return, they return back to that same original stream, and you can monitor that. Really cool opportunity. Um, I thought I wanted to be a fisheries biologist for the rest of my life. So after three, three temp, location, uh, temp jobs, two full-time positions opened up. I applied for both of them. I knew both of the hiring managers because I'd worked with them previously. Thought, yeah, I finally made it. This was after three years after graduation. Ultimately, um, after applying, after a lot of prayer and pondering, I decided to make a career change even before interviewing for any of those jobs. It happened to be that my dad, who works in agriculture, uh, had done some work on what he called the funny, funny farm. He says, there's this place out in Parma with all these flags and just, it's just crazy. You should go check it out. So I went and checked it out and uh, talked to a gentleman there and um, applied for a job. And I didn't get that job, which was pretty crazy. It was going to work with the tree fruit program. And uh, another opportunity came up there again. And I applied and ultimately got that job um, with the Potato and Onion Project. Um, ultimately, that was a huge blessing because the opportunities working with the gentleman that I was in Potatoes and Onions was far greater than it would have been in working in tree fruit. Side story, the uh, positions that I applied for at Fish and Game never materialized. They actually canceled all of those roles. And besides that, there were over 300 qualified applicants for each role with a lot more experience than I had. So at the time I didn't, well, I felt really confident I was gonna land one of those jobs. And the reality was I was probably 10 to 15 years away from landing one of those jobs. Um, another huge blessing from the Lord that I didn't waste my time um, chasing that, what I thought was my dream, what I thought was my vision. Uh, another example of right place, right time, my dad doing that work and me acting upon his suggestion to run out there. So I spent the next five years or so working on potatoes and onions. It's a viral disease in, in it's called Irish yellow spot virus, really cool looking, the devastating disease. Nobody wants an onion like that. This is actually what my, um, my master's degree is in, in rhizoctonia and uh, potato. So black scurf affects both the tuber and the, um, the, the plant. So I worked there, um, again, had no idea what kind of blessing it was going to be to have that job. I worked there for about two years and um, uh, decided I'd go to master's, to, to pursue a master's degree, which at that point I hadn't even entered my mind. Again, by this time, three kids, I think we had three kids making basically nothing working for the state. Uh, how was I going to afford a master's degree? Well, it just so happens when you're a, an employee of the state of Idaho working at a university, you get $6 credits. Wow. So I was able to basically get a master's degree for free. 
huge blessing, something I would have never realized. And honestly, probably if I would have, if Janae and I would have had to put that bill ourselves, there's no way we could have ever put me through grad school given our, our financial situation. So a huge, huge blessing. The, the gentleman I was working for at the time promised me, he says, you get a master's degree and have five years of experience, you can do whatever you want. And that ultimately proved to be true. So now I work for a vegetable seed company. I graduated in December and uh, started January 2nd. No, no time to break. Um, how I ended up with this job is, again, uh, an example of the right place at the right time. At the time, I was pursuing uh, the, an opportunity to be an extension agent, so continue to work for the state of Idaho and work with growers on uh, individual problems that they have in their fields. Um, pretty cool job, not a well-paid job, but still an exciting opportunity. Kind of thought that's what I was wanting to do. I got a call from my cousin on a Friday afternoon, cousin that I don't talk to very much, and he said, hey, I just was reading an, an agricultural newspaper. Newspapers are those black and white things, right? They smell funny. <laughs> anyway, sorry. He says, I, I saw a classified ad for a job that might be of interest to you. So I said, okay. So I looked it up, and it turned out that that job had already closed. It had closed two hours before I heard about it. So I said, what the heck? I'm going to throw my hat in anyway. So I stayed late at night, put in my resume, um, got it in before midnight. So I was hoping they'd see that it was Friday and not Friday end of, of business. Uh, but uh, had no hope really that it was going to happen. I uh, got a call Monday morning from, this, from the, the company that I work for now. And they said, hey, we'd love to hire you and uh, no, interview you. Uh, they, they flew out, sorry. It would have been great, right? Hire you immediately. Um, flew me out, they flew out, we interviewed over a giant pile of Taco Bell tacos, and um, the, the rest is history. So now I work uh, for a vegetable seed in company where we're trialing new hybrids. So this is a, at a, wash, a farm up in Washington. Uh, we're doing large-scale trialing, trying to determine whether this, this new onion hybrid has the Yield, first of all, and then the storability for long-term. There's the one picture of Hayden that I had to put in there, and AJ's in there too. So th these were my hired hands. So a lot of what I do is just uh, planting small plots of all these different varieties, and then taking data, and then analyzing the data, and then sharing that data to help growers make informed decisions on, is this going to work? Will this benefit my program? Or do I stay with what, I, what I'm currently doing? That's a picture from my office window. I have the greatest office around, if I'm able to, to see that. I, I was actually in Australia one time, and a gentleman I was with was bragging about how he felt that he lived closest to the onion. Of all the people in our company working with onions, he felt he lived closest to that because he lived 10 miles from the onion producing region. And at that point, I had onions that were 10 feet from my office. So great place to live. Um, this was actually a picture in Mexico. Uh, and a, that's a white onion hybrid that I kind of championed and uh, fought for and um, got a lot of resistance. But ultimately, about six years later, we were driving through Mexico and, and our guy down there pulled over and said, Get, let's, let's go to this field. And it was an entire 50 acres of the onion that I had championed. And uh, that's why I got such a cheesy grin because I was pretty excited. <coughs> Cut and peel carrots. The baby carrots aren't baby, just so you know that those are actually baby carrots. So 
Not many people know that. There's not a whole field of two-inch carrots being grown. There's a whole, whole field of preferably 14, 16-inch carrots that get chopped up. So I worked a lot with root and bulb, um, root and bulbs being onions and carrots. Uh, I actually, again, right place, right time, huge blessing from our Heavenly Father. Uh, the second year I was with the company, I fell into a project, a project that was promoting a, a new concept that didn't currently exist in the, in the marketplace. Got me huge notoriety uh, all over the company. Ended up winning a, a, an award for it. Janae and I got to fly to, to Hawaii for a week and and party on the company because of, of this award. Uh, but it kind of slingshotted me uh, into, into a, the next level of my career. Again, less from what I was doing, but more about the opportunity that, that had been placed before me. The blessing, the right place, the right time that was placed before me. So from being a lowly field guy, I jumped straight into a global role. So with that role, I was able to fly all over the world um, looking at pota uh, potatoes, carrots, and onions, specifically. Little sweet corn just for variety. Um, yeah, I think I've been, Janae and I were counting 42, maybe 46 countries I've had the opportunity to, to visit, um, which was awesome. But again, it was the right place at the right time, and I want to get back to the, the equally yoked. To, to make this happen, um, they asked us to move to St. Louis. So again, if you look at where I live, I live in a great place. When I graduated from high school, I wanted to move as far away from Idaho as I could. After two years in California, I never wanted to leave Idaho again. So the thought of, of moving to, to St. Louis was what we were required to do was, was pretty scary. It was right before, uh, it would have been for Hayden's first year of high school. Root everybody up. We prayed long and hard and had a lot of... Um, Hard discussions, um, we were blessed with, um, with situations that provided a lot of clarity. Um, one of those, we, we went, were going to go to the temple, and Boise was closed, so we had to go to Twin Falls, so we made an appointment, so you didn't drive up there. And um, we got up there, and they, they didn't have an appointment for us, they'd given it away. So we had to wait, which was fine, we didn't, weren't in that big of a hurry, but a little frustrating. So we ultimately went through, and in the celestial room, we ran into a guy that I know really, really well. And he described a situation that his son was going through that was identical to the situation that we were going through. And um, the, the, the insight that that provided was huge. Ultimately, we decided to pull the trigger and move to St. Louis. It was a lot of tears. Um, started the process. The realtor came out to move our house. And uh, this was right after the, the first um, housing crash. And um, all of a sudden we got a call and said, you're, you're so upside down in your house, you can never move. And we thought, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We accepted this job. We have to move. But at the same time, we can't, we can't afford to pay a house payment in Idaho and a house payment in St. Louis. Um, so I talked to my new boss and he said, hey, if you're willing to fly to St. Louis every week, uh, every month, once a week for a, every month, you can stay put. So, you know, that's, that's really ultimately what we wanted was to have this global job, to have this, this, this added responsibility, a huge move for my career, but stay in Idaho, which at the time was a complete impossibility. But all of a sudden, right place, right time, 
what we what ultimately was at the time a, a terrible thing to have lost so much value in our home became the hugest blessing in our lives because we're still in Idaho. We were able to raise our kids where we wanted to in a community that we love and with the support that we needed. Um, so again, huge blessing, right place, right time. Scary thing to do to just step off the cliff. Um, we stepped off the cliff and luckily there was a net that was like six inches below, so we didn't have to fall very far. Uh, but it was a trial of our faith and, and ultimately we were rewarded um, for acting on the promptings from our Heavenly Father. Uh, so I moved from, from, uh, from the carrot and onion guy to, to have the opportunity to, to work in, in peppers. Um, that's a giant pile of hot peppers in Vietnam. It was so, the pungency was so hot that um, you couldn't even, it was somebody sprayed pepper spray. Cough, tears, the whole thing. But a, but a great experience. I, giant hot pepper pile in India, drying out in the sun. Got to test new concepts like these baby bells. They don't sell them here on the, east, on the west coast, but they, they sell these baby bell peppers on the east coast. Um, again, a little uh, hot pepper in Vietnam. All the heat from peppers comes from the seeds and the membranes, so that baby's loaded. And if, a, if you ever at a Vietnamese restaurant and they ask if you want the special hot pepper, the answer is always no. <laughs> it's, I love spicy food, but I walked out with a sweat stain clear down to my belly. It was, it was pretty intense. Um, so, and I, you know, we were working in greenhouses where you have to really be in a sterile environment. But uh, I was able to move from peppers to peppers, which was a much higher profile crop in my company. Again, a huge blessing, a huge opportunity that was, was short-lived because um, change of strategy. I then moved uh, over to biologicals, working with um, trying to integrate biological compounds into the vegetable seed industry, specifically with our products. Uh, that was really short-lived, and again, right place, right time, had the right manager. He re realized that we were about to be bought out and that my role was in severe jeopardy of, of going away. And so he asked me to step backwards in my career and move back into a regional role um, that uh, I, I accepted and, and happily did. Um, and um, was working in that and I applied for the role that I currently have and I didn't get it. Again, I, I, I look back now, I was a little upset at the, at the, when it happened, but again, right place, right time. Uh, I would have had to move to California again for this next step in my career and didn't really want to but really wanted this job. If, you saw, if I mentioned have a vision, when I first met my manager, my very first manager in, in um, Seminus 16 years ago, he asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want your job. I want to manage a team doing product development in the West. And that's the job that I, was, that I just applied for, that I felt really good that I was going to get, and ultimately didn't get. So I banged away at this America's job, this, this regional job for a while, and then an opportunity came up for me to reapply for this same role, new manager who didn't require me to move to California. All of a sudden, I'm in the role that I dreamed about for 16 years. I'm in the location that I wanted to be in, Life couldn't be any better. Again, right place, right time. 
not getting frustrated, uh, understanding that, that um, we have circumstances that are, the Lord sees our circumstances and blesses us accordingly. We just have to have the faith to power through and uh, understand that as long as we're working, as long as we're doing our part, we will end up where we're supposed to be. There's just no doubt about it. So now I manage a team of, it's now seven, I had to, um, they cut one of my roles. Uh, so, and I manage basically the western half of the United States, which really professional means Washington, Oregon, Idaho, California, Arizona, and Texas. So a huge presence in California. Most of what we eat in the produce stands come from the Central Valley of California. So that's the team. We're standing out. That's half the team standing out in, in processing tomatoes. I, I started the role. Um, I, was I flew down to California to be introduced to the team. Uh, and I flew through San Jose, and that was the week after the first case of COVID was announced going through San Jose. So that's, the, the timing was terrible. How do you manage people that you don't, that you can't go and see? So another, yeah, we're out transplanting peppers. Um, a lot of, this next slide is, it was purposely put in. Um, it's a good friend of mine that was a Fresno State graduate, and so you fly through Fresno all the time. This was a week before the football game, in case anybody saw what happened there, was pretty tremendous. So, uh, got to have some fun. This was just in August. To the you can notice uh, this was again in California, just outside Sacramento, and that the fires were so bad. You thought our smoke was bad. It, it was nothing compared to what was going on in in California. So I get to manage people, which I really enjoy. I get to manage more crops than potato. Uh, I keep saying potatoes, onions, and carrots. Processing sweet corn, coming to a uh, processing tomatoes, coming to a pizza or bottle of ketchup to you soon. <laughs> Giant field of watermelons that we were evaluating. That field was headed to Costco, so big deal. Lettuce headed to a salad bar somewhere close. And so as I think about um, right place, right time, and a lot of the activities, I'm, I'm reminded of this of the scripture in Nephi. I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Sometimes you just have to power on, just go for it. And um, as long as you're being obedient and doing the things that, that, the, that your Heavenly Father wants you to, you will end up in the situation that you wanted to be. So that's briefly this, how I got from, from the, that little kid on a tractor to where I am now kind of want to switch a little bit now and, and share some experiences of how the gospel of Jesus Christ and my career have, have met and intertwined. Like I said, I've, I've had the pleasure of traveling all over the world. The, the picture in the upper corner, that's the Jordan River. You want to be baptized there? used to be huge. It's all been diverted for agriculture now. Now it's just a dirty canal. This is the disputed baptismal, bab, John, the disputed site of uh, John the Baptist, where he did all his baptisms. Jordan claims it's on their side. Israel claims it's on their side. They're like 100 yards apart, but uh, really cool experience. Uh, another picture of Hayden. This was with Hayden's, one of the first pictures Hayden sent us in Peru. Six months after he sent us that picture, I was in Peru and tried to get in the exact same spot. I thought it would be really cool to go find him and take a picture of him in the background, not actually see him. But I, I broke down into tears standing in that spot, so I wimped out. Don't get old, you get soft. <laughs> um, 
That's the sunset over Belgium. We were out looking at leaks in that upper corner. That was after a run in the Netherlands. Uh, the night sky as we were waiting to fly out of Shanghai in China. Um, did a couple laps around the Colosseum in Italy, which was a pretty cool experience. Um, shout out to AJ in Argentina. That's the Argentine version of the Washington Monument in downtown Buenos Aires. Took an afternoon and visited the Great Wall of China, uh, doing a traditional Indian dance in Thailand. If you, uh, and then uh, we took a temple tour of, of, uh, in uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, which was really cool. Bicycles, visiting all the tours. Um, so again, a lot of opportunities that I've had to travel around. Um, the first experience I want to share was an experience that I had in Spain. And uh, I normally travel when I was traveling. Usually Sunday was a transition period, so I very seldom had the opportunity to go to church. This time, and when I did, I was so remote that there was no way to go. Ended up in Spain with a car on a Sunday, so I drove to Cartagena to go to church. Walk in, it's a building about the size of this. There might have been 50 people. Um, six of those people were, were missionaries, so it was, it was pretty light. And uh, I don't speak much Spanish, but I wanted to go anyways. So I could see there was a conversation with the bishop and somebody in the audience. They were just kind of back and forth. And at one point, a young lady got up and walked out. And the bishop got off the stand in the middle and walked out and followed her. Um, came back. They both came back in. Uh, ultimately, I figured out at the end that it was a young lady who was, it was her first time to speak. Young lady, she was probably 17, and she was scared, really scared. And so it got closer to the time, and um, she finally worked her way up to the stand, and she grabbed the pulpit with a death grip, stared at the audience, or the congregation, and she looked over her shoulder at the bishop and goes, <laughs> and the bishop just gently shook his head yes. She looked out at the audience, Looked over her shoulder. <laughs> Bishop again shook his head. Yes, three times this happened. And she was standing there. Sorry, I'll get emotional here. At one point, a lady walked up from the congregation, went up and put her arm around this young lady, just hugged her, and stood there the whole time she was giving her talk. And uh, went and sat down. It was her young woman's advisor. And I saw that, I thought, wow, that is this. This is a scripture about um, people that were being baptized at the waters of Mormon. Um, well, you are desirous to be called his people. You are willing to, willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light. Yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn. Yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. I saw that. I saw the gospel of Jesus Christ with my eyes. It was powerful. It's a blessing that I wouldn't have had had I not been blessed with this opportunity to travel and see the world. Um, so this was an opportunity to go to, to Kazakhstan, one of the former Russian republics, and look at onions. You land in Almaty, and then you drive nine and a half hours to get to the, to the spot to look at onions. And basically, if you've ever driven from Boise to Mountain Home, drive that for nine and a half hours. That's what, there's, there's nothing absolutely nothing. This is actually the border. 
you drive right along the border and that's the, that's the military's posts. So that was right on the Turkmenistan border. Um, really remote. We're sitting at, uh, at the, this, this gentleman's family's house eating dinner. And I'm sitting there and it's, we're, we're having a, a, a good time, but all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker outside, I can hear, hear the Muslim clerics call for evening prayers, which was a new experience for me. And I don't know if I was homesick because I, um, I was really, because I'd been traveling a lot, but I, at that moment, never felt so alone in my life. I was so far away from anyone. I was so far away from, from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from the support that I have built into my life. And so as I was feeling bad about myself, um, I, I felt this comfort come over me. And I was able to move on and have a great experience. Um, a lot of these people so I still have contact with. Again, it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Ghost that allowed me to power through this experience from a bad experience to an amazing experience. And again, an experience I would have never probably felt we are so blessed to be in an area with all of this. And we have so many people out there that aren't blessed with that. And I got to experience that for a minute. I hated it, but then I was blessed with the power to get through. Um, as you can imagine, a lot of missionary opportunities. But you have to be careful, right, in, the, in your commercial sense, in business. How do you talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you weave that in to what's going on. Um, my answer is you just have to look for the opportunities as they present themselves. So this is a group in, in Brazil. We got to travel together for about a week. Spent a lot of time with, with Carolina. She was our representative there doing a lot of the work for us. As we traveled around Brazil, she asked, I asked, what are you doing next week? And so she and her boyfriend were going to compete in a CrossFit competition. She asked me what I was going to do next week. Well, that's that same group, sorry. She asked what I was going to do next week. I was going to trek. How in the world do you explain trek to somebody who doesn't understand the early saints? Doesn't understand early American history, the Oregon Trail, the persecution of the saints. How are you going to explain that I'm going to dress up in old clothes and load up a cart with a bunch of kids that I don't know and go walk 20 or 30 miles and hope that the weather's good? But I use that opportunity. More Trek pictures. By the way, chat, mad shout out to Hayden. This was the day after he landed from Peru on his mission. He got released in the evening. We loaded the buses at 6 o'clock and he went on Trek with us. <laughs> So, you know, how do you explain that? Well, I use that opportunity to talk about the early church, about the persecution, how um, not everybody agrees in, in, with, with what we believe and the responses for that and how we ultimately ended up in a better place because of, of being driven out of Missouri, out of the Midwest. I was able to talk about genealogy and how important genealogy is and being able to trace your families. And this is a way that we honor the people that have gone on before us, that put in the work for us. So it was a great opportunity for me to talk and, and um, explain to her a little bit about what we believe and why we believe it.
All right, so this handsome devil, it's got snake butt boots on. So this is in Brazil, and anytime we're in the field in Brazil, we have to wear these, these snake bite boots. You can a little bit of a close-up here. But I could never figure out why. I'd been to Brazil eight times, nine times, I don't know. Been out in the field a lot, and we'd never seen a snake, ever, ever at all. And I started to wonder, do I really need to wear these snake bite boots? Do I really? Um, so on my last trip, we were visiting with a guy, and this was a guy who farmed in shorts and no shoes. Never had a pair of shoes on in his life, I'd bet. And uh, this is the exact row he was walking on. He was planting this row of peppers earlier in the spring, and he got bit by a snake and uh, nearly died. Spent about six weeks in the hospital uh, because of this snake bite. And that was the day that I thought long and hard about, do I really want to wear my boots? They're hot. It's humid. It's miserable. There's no snakes. Why do I need to do that? Chose to be obedient. Got to put a plug in for obedience. And ultimately we were blessed. A lot of times we don't understand why we do things or why uh, there are certain things going on, but we will be blessed for obedience. This is an, an example of that. Um, spent a lot of time in Mexico. This is my favorite lunch joint in Mexico. And you can't see it right here. But these are bullet holes from the latest shootout at the lunch joint that we like to go to. Uh, this was a, a wrap-up, and we were sitting at, the, at this table in Culiacan, and I raised my hand and I said, because I'd just been through a pretty rough area of Mexico where one of our colleagues had been abducted previously, and I said, just out of fun, I said, all right, guys, raise your hand if you've ever been abducted. And everyone at the table raised their hand except for me. I thought, wow, man, we are blessed. I bring that up because I have another good friend, Paco, loves to fish, um, that I contact all the time before I'd go to Mexico. And I'd ask him, Paco, is it safe? And he'd tell me, yes, it is, or no, it's not. You'd hear a lot of things going on in the media. At one point, the uh, State Department said, don't go to Mexico. They just murdered two German journalists. Um, they're targeting foreign nationals, the cartel. So I called Paco and I said, hey, I'm supposed to come down, is it safe? And he says, oh yeah, it is. This is what happened. Those two German guys got off a plane, rented the most elaborate SUV they could and drove basically to El Chapo's front step and started asking questions. You're safe, come on down. Now I'm not, saying, not trying to say Paco's prophetic, but there's a reason we have a prophet. And that's to make sense of what's going on. We hear all this other stuff going on, but we have a source that we can go to where we can get the truth and understand, is it safe, is it not? Paco's been traveling in Mexico for 40 years in the rural areas through the cartel and never had a problem because he has a set of rules that he follows. If you follow those rules, you get safe. Anytime anybody's been abducted, it's because they broke one of those rules. Um, so this is a picture in, in China. If you've ever done business in China, we're still good. Done business in China, it's very, very formal. Um, and uh, you know the formal place setting, this would be a, a typical dinner where you sit around the, the outside of the circle, the middle spins and the food comes to you and you just grab it and eat a bite. Um, so we were meeting with a company that wanted to uh, 
to start selling our seeds in China and they weren't currently a vendor for us. And so we were talking to them. So it was a full on, full court press, lots of, of nicest restaurant in Beijing. Um, super, super formal. Uh, the host sets, sits so they face the door. So if you're ever in China, don't ever face the door because you'll have to pay for dinner. So you want to sit on the side because then you won't have to pay. The most important guest is on, his, on the right hand and then the second most important guest is on the left. And then the traditional thing is they have a, a drink called Baijiu, which is basically uh, just gasoline. It's, I, my friends tell me it's horrible stuff. But the host goes out and toasts everybody at the table. And I've had that before. I had a Diet Coke there ready to do a toast. And then, but then uh, the guy that was next to me says, leans over and pats me on me. He says, oh, it's so special tonight. They brought out the family urn. So they were going to pour this Baijiu into the family urn, which had been a part of their family for 300 years. That's how special it was. That's how honored we were. I'm freaking out, right? I'm, there's no chance I'm going to drink. That's, that's a given. But how do I get out of this situation without offending this guy? So he came up and to me and had his Baijiu. I pulled up my Diet Coke and he looked at me really funny and he goes, no drink? I said, no, I don't drink. And he goes, Mormon? <laughs> Which is amazing, right? Because you can't talk about the church on the street in China. It's against the law. I said, yes. And he goes, no drink, many wives? <laughs> I said, no, one, no drink, one wife. That's it. And we laughed and we toasted and we diffused it with a little humor. Um, but then the cool thing was a, a year later, uh, I didn't know it, but we ended up hosting this guy at my house in Parma. We were able to barbecue. He was able to see my family, see my one wife, and, uh, and see that we had lemonade at our barbecue and not anything else. But I bring that up because um, the peer pressure never goes away. I think as you get older and you get in your career, it only becomes worse. Nobody knew me in China. I could have had a drink and nobody would have known, but our Heavenly Father would have known. That's the key. We have to remember that. So you just have to figure out what you're going to do and, and then work on, on how to get out of it. Um, I want to share this one, one more thing. Uh, we have to be grateful for what we've been blessed with. This is in India. We met with this guy. He was growing a sweet corn that was about 18 inches taller than the current sweet corn he was, sell, he was growing. And they harvest the ears. And in the U.S., they just mow the plant. But in India, they harvest the plant and then sell that plant for food, um, for animal feed. He was super excited because this taller plant meant extra income for him, and it was enough income that he could send his son, his son to a better school. 18 inches of taller sweet corn was going to change this kid's life and ultimately change his family. I mean, this was a family that still used dried cow manure to heat their home and to cook with. Uh, this was their entire onion storage. Um, he invited us back. We had ice cold juice boxes on his front step. One of the highlights of my career. I enjoyed that um, to the end. But to me, it's just a reminder of we, we've been blessed so much. We, we need to be more grateful. Think about how grateful this guy was for 18 inches of more corn to sell. What about us and the many things that we've been blessed with?